This is John 2, 23. And we're going to read down through verse 15 of chapter 3. But we are, after seeing um, a couple of, th- couple of the signs or the, the, the pictures of what Jesus has done to explaining why he came, now we get explicit explanation of how to respond to the person of Jesus. And so this is a great, a great passage, a famous passage. Next week for the rest of the summer, we're going to be in the Psalms of Ascent, and then we'll pick up with the Gospel of John in, in the fall. But let's read the story of Nicodemus. This is God's Word. It says, now when, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he, that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy. He has spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask that your spirit would blow through this place that we might see evidence of his presence through our faith in Jesus and our love for one another. So I pray that you would increase our gratitude for the gospel this morning, that it would combat um, our sinful nature, our grumbling hearts, uh, that we might be made new and be known for our joy uh, in knowing you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So do you remember the first time that you were entrusted with the keys to your parents' vehicle? Right. It's, a good, it's a good day. For some of you, it wasn't that long ago. 
right? It's, it's exciting. It's a little bit terrifying because now all this responsibility falls down on your shoulders. And, but, you know, it feels great to be trusted, to have someone say to you, I trust you with this task or with this thing or to, with the life of your brother or sister in the car, right? It's a big deal. That's why it's so jarring when you, when you read the, the end of chapter 2 when Jesus says, I don't trust anyone, any human being. Uh, because I know what is in all people, right? And he's, he's saying that in the context of he has a whole, a whole bunch of people in a city super excited about him and what he's done and the power he's shown, that God must be with him. This guy's amazing. And Jesus says, yeah, I don't, I don't trust them. It's, it's shocking because you have the most uh, compassionate and loving person who ever lived uh, the one who treats moral failures, who um, moves towards the outcasts. He touches the untouchable. Uh, you'll, you'll see, we're going to see how he interacts with the, with the Samaritan woman at the well. Right? He, he moves towards her despite her past. And yet here you have Jesus saying, I don't trust you <laughs> or any human being because I, I know what is in the, the, the damp, dark basement of every human heart. It's not pretty. And you kind of know what this looks like, right? If, if you've ever um, gone house shopping, right? Houses look great on the outside, but you want to know what's going on on the inside, right? It could have a beautifully landscaped yard, paint is fresh, but you, you, know, you shine a light in the basement, you want to know what's going to scurry and run away. Um, and so here we have Jesus saying, I know what's in the dark, What's in your heart isn't pretty. And without the context that's going to follow in John 3, that does sound a little bit callous, but it turns out that Jesus not trusting us, not trusting anyone, uh, gives us great hope in the way we love other people, which we'll, we'll see here in a moment. Right? If, if Jesus doesn't trust human beings and we adopt Jesus' perspective towards other people, that actually helps us deal and love difficult people. And so with that um, introduction, let's look at Nicodemus, and I'll, I'll show you how that works. First point, right? Nicodemus shows us who you shouldn't trust, right? Because you look at the introduction to Nicodemus and the transition from the end of chapter two into this introduction to the person, right? It says, um, Jesus knows man. He knows what's in the heart of man, and he uses that word man over and over again. And then when you get to Nicodemus, it says, oh, by the way, there was a man named Nicodemus. This man, let me tell you about Nicodemus. And so the, the repetition of the word is, is telling you, like, here, here's exhibit A of the kind of person that Jesus doesn't entrust himself to, right? Which is surprising because because of the kind of person Nicodemus is. This is the holy insult to the gospel. It's the, the great equalizer that Jesus declares something to be wrong with every human heart, right? to the point where Jesus doesn't even trust the best of us. Right? And so if you've ever had conversations like this, um, you should put your faith in Jesus, right? You should, you should embrace the gospel and, and announce that you're a sinner and come to faith. Usually the objection will be something like this. But the world is full of so many good people. 
What about Gandhi? Are you telling me Gandhi's going to hell? Or the Dalai Lama or my neighbors who, who are right, run into the fire, the volunteer fire people? You can think of every kind of good person that you've ever met, right? We would say, yeah, I would trust those people. I trust them with my lives. They, 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 will, they got my back. See, Nicodemus represents those kinds of people. Right? People who are really good, who serve their neighbors, who, who make us feel ashamed for our lack of effort at serving our neighbors because we've done so little compared to them. Right? Nicodemus is the kind of person that Jesus doesn't trust. Right? One, he's a Pharisee, which means for Pharisees, as a select small number of people in Jerusalem, they, they take God's commandments seriously. The 613 commandments in the Old Testament are not enough for them. <laughs> right? They, they want to make sure they don't break the, the Ten Commandments and all the other hundreds that, that surround it. And so they would argue and debate and discuss, you know, what other fences can we put up to make sure that we are keeping God's law? Right? This is a really good guy. He's trying really hard. He's the kind of neighbor you would want to have next door. He's, you could leave your door unlocked if he lived next to you. We also know it says he's a, he's a ruler of the Jews, which means he's part of the, the ruling elite in the Sanhedrin. In the, it's it's kind of like the ancient Jewish Supreme Court. He's part of the law system. Uh, his community trusts him to do justice. Right. In fact, we, we hear about Nicodemus later in John 7, and when loads of people just want to string Jesus up on trumped-up charges because they just don't like him, Nicodemus is the, the, the voice of sanity and reason and says, by the way, there's a law here, and we, we don't judge people <laughs> without the law, right? He's, he's the kind of person who's not showing partiality while his peers want to crucify Christ. And we, at the end of John, we find out that Nicodemus is, is filthy rich because he brings um, 75 pounds of burial spices of pounds of myrrh and aloe to wrap Jesus' body to put him in the tomb. Um, so he, he's done well with money. And so it, the point is, when you, when you interact with Nicodemus, this is the kind of person that when he speaks, people trust him, they listen, they follow. But Jesus says to him, one, here's a man I don't trust, and two, you're not even in, you have to be born again. If you were to shine a light into Nicodemus' heart to look in the basement, there'd be disgusting critters running away like everyone else. Right? And you, you get that from the text because when does Nicodemus come and talk to Jesus? At night. Right? In, in the context where in a, in a few verses Jesus is going to talk about people loving the darkness more than the light because they're terrified as to come to the light because then their deeds will be known and seen. Right? I think it makes sense that even Nicodemus knows there's something off despite all that success and high moral quality. Right? Something is rotten in Denmark, as they say, and he knows it. He's coming to Jesus. He's, he's coming in the darkness, and we know he's in the dark as well because he has a darkness of understanding. He doesn't even understand, seemingly, to understand the scriptures that he's supposed to teach. Right? That's, that's down in verse 10 when um, Jesus says, dude, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. 
right? Don't, don't you teach the stuff, <laughs> right? This is the elder being stumped as if he's never read the Bible before. And you go, well, what does he not understand? Well, he doesn't understand that for someone to be a Christian, for someone to enter into the kingdom of God, they must be born again. That unless one is born of water and the Spirit, they cannot enter. And that's, that's the spiritual insult, right? That nobody is qualified by nature to enter into the kingdom on their own. That's why Jesus doesn't trust anyone. They need to be born again. And because until you are born again, you can't see the kingdom. It's like you're spiritually blind, you're in the dark. Uh, you can't even go in. You're, on the out, you're the outside of the city gates. It's like, all right, God sees you coming and he pulls the drawbridge up. He says, I don't, I don't trust you here because darkness can't dwell with light. Right. And in case you missed how forceful Jesus is on this, in verse 7, he says it again, you must be born again. Meaning this isn't just for a select few really excitable Christians. This is the, the universal way that everybody becomes a Christian. Right? Something has to happen to you. Right? It's, it's a passive thing that you have to receive. You have to be born again. Right? So l- listen again to Jesus' response here. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it, where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Does it sound like something you're in control of? <laughs> right? The wind blows where it wishes. I mean, it, it, Jesus is partly doing a play on words. In Hebrew and in Greek, the word for spirit and wind is the same word. But it's still the same idea. Is something has to happen to you for you to, to believe, for you to come to faith, for you to embrace Jesus and his ways. Um, how, do I, how do you know that? Well, how do you, where do you find out what it's, what it means to be born of water and the Spirit. And, and we looked at this, I think it was early this year or last year. Jesus most likely has Ezekiel in mind. It's Ezekiel 36. This is why Jesus is insulting this Bible teacher, saying, you know, haven't you read Ezekiel? Um, because in Ezekiel 36, especially verse 20, 25 and 26, God, I mean, Ezekiel is one of the most graphic offensive, in-your-face books describing human nature and God being fed up with the sin of his people. It's, it's incredibly graphic language. And it, at the, you got a whole, like, 30 chapters of bad news. I mean, some good news sprinkled in there. But when you, when you get to chapter 36, especially, this is where you're like, okay, there is hope. <laughs> right? And God says to a people who have not been able to obey or get anything right, they've, they've a people who have been stubborn and rebellious. God says to them, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I shall cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
And so you can hear those two parts, right? You got to be sprinkled with water, you got to be cleansed, and you need the Holy Spirit to change your heart, to, to make you willing to, to want to obey. And the idea of a new heart is, it keeps going in the text, I will, I will cause you to keep my commandments. Right. So if you shine a light into the dark parts of your heart, right? you look in the basement of your heart, right? you know the rodents run away. Like, even if you can't see them, they're still there. Right? And that's the story of every human being in relationship to the living God. If you shine a light, the rodents of pride and lack of love and love for anything but God, they're all just scurrying around trying to run away from the light. Right? We need cleansed. That's the idea of idols. These are things that are precious to us, things that we love more than the God who loves us. We need cleansed from all the damage that our too much love for those things has caused. And so Jesus says that our problem is so bad is that like Israel, like Adam, like every human being, is we do not have the ability by nature to earn our way through law-keeping to get into the kingdom of heaven. We need a new heart. We need God's Spirit to get involved to make us a new creation, to regenerate us. That's the theological language. To give us eyes to see. You need eyes to see in order to, to look at Jesus, as we're going to see. That's, as, that's where Jesus goes. You've got to look at the one lifted up. How do you do that? You need the Spirit to give you eyes. Right? And so, this, this is the first point. Jesus doesn't trust us because, one, he knows the Scriptures, and two, he knows the human heart. Uh, that without the Holy Spirit, humans by nature will live for themselves, and even their best deeds, because they're done for their, their own reputation, their own resume, Right? We'll pretend to use God for our own agenda. We're not trustworthy apart from grace. Right? This is where Nietzsche would agree. Right? Humans aren't trustworthy because why do they do, do anything? He was, he was extremely skeptical. It was because you just want to be in charge. Right? You want power. And so even the good things that, that people do, right, that would pour out, they give money to charity and they're volunteering on the weekends, he would look at them and squint and say, why? I, I don't believe you're that good. <laughs> That's the message of the prophets. That's the message of Jesus. Right. So, so then the question becomes, if I need the Spirit to see and to enter, how do you get God's Spirit? How do you get something that blows around and you don't have control over it. And that leads to the second point of, of right, you shouldn't trust yourself, <laughs> but who should you trust? And the word that Jesus uses for trust in, in or John uses for trust in chapter 2, if he, Jesus doesn't trust people, it's the same word used to say you should believe in Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life in verse 15. And so, if you look at verse 10 here, Jesus says to Nicodemus, who doesn't understand, are you the teacher and you don't understand? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. 
If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So you should trust Jesus. Why? Here's here's Jesus' argument why you should trust him. He says, we know, which is a really strange thing to say. We know what we believe. We know what we see. We speak of what we know, we, we speak of what we see. And you go, hold on, where did we come from? Right? He's, he's speaking in the plural as if he knows how heaven works and that in heaven, he's not alone. Right? No one has ascended into heaven except the Son of Man, which is the one who descended, that's me. And so here's part of what Jesus is getting at right away as he's talking to Nicodemus. He's hinting at the doctrine of the Trinity But he's saying, I'm from heaven, I know what I'm talking about. We know, we as in my Father, and we as in the Spirit. We know the human heart, and we know what it takes for you to receive my gift of salvation. The we is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And they are so united, we're seeing this already in John. He makes it much more explicit later. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are united in their plan to save people they don't trust. Right? And he says, this is our testimony. We bear witness to, to the reality that you need the Holy Spirit to cause you to be born again. And so the Spirit sent from heaven, comes down, blows through, and we don't know where it comes from or how it works, but people show up and all of a sudden they believe in Jesus. And the only explanation we can have is the Holy Spirit got involved. And Jesus says, I know how that works. We sent him. (laughs) The Father sends the Son from heaven down to earth to be lifted up, right? He's part of the plan. For God so loved the world, he sent his Son And so argument number one, why should you trust Jesus? He's from heaven, and he knows how these things work. And he says, Nicodemus, if you don't believe how faith grows down here, how will I trust you? How will you believe if I tell you how even more explicit things about heaven? You're from down here. I'm from up here. So trust Jesus because he knows. Second, we should trust Jesus because of his humility, and that's, that's verses 14 and 15. Right? It says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So you got two things packed into one verse. Here's why Jesus doesn't trust you, <laughs> and why you should trust him. Because when he talks about lifting up a serpent in the wilderness... Um, he's referring to a story in Numbers chapter 21. It's good to turn there, Numbers 21. It's book number four in the Old Testament. Right, Numbers 21, verses four through nine. Right, Israel's in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, on the way to the land of Canaan. And as is their, their tendency, they're grumbling yet again, right? They're impatient. Life stinks. Life is hard. And they're getting really angry and frustrated to the point where it says they spoke against God and against Moses. 
And their, their accusation is, God and Moses, you aren't for us, you aren't helping us, you're trying to kill us. You brought us out into the desert to die. And then their, their complaint is, we have no food or water and we loathe this worthless food. Right? You hear that? The fridge is full and we have no food. Right? They're, they're complaining about the manna in particular, this, this heaven bread uh, that, that tastes sweet that has been supernaturally keeping them alive every day in the wilderness. And so God's response to their ingratitude and their grumbling, in verse 6, it says, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Right? God sent these fiery serpents, these venomous snakes, so that when you got bit by these snakes, you would get a raging fever and you would eventually just dehydrate and die. Right? And we, we hear that and go, God, really? This, that, that seems really intense. It's just a bunch of grumpy kids. Right? But if you pay close attention to what is happening, you can, you can start to understand why God does this as it's connected to the bigger story. Right? Why is Israel so irrational? They have divine bread from heaven, right? the, the sweetness of honey in their mouths every day. Right? Why do they have such a hard time believing? Because right? we go, if I saw a miracle every day, yeah, I wouldn't be, it'd be really easy to trust, trust God. And here there's the opposite is they see miracles every day and they're, they're having the worst time trying to trust him. Right? That's the darkness of every human heart. But if you know the bigger story, having to do with serpents, why don't they trust? Right? Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, listen to the voice of the serpent. Did God really say? Is he telling the truth? Is he good? Right? And, and the effect or the fallout for every human being since, since the garden is we all have serpentine hearts. If you're looking at the, the basement of your heart, right, Things are going to slither away. Sorry if I give you nightmares. <laughs> right? But it's saying that's what our heart's like. We're, we're serpentine. That's what Paul says, right? When he's making his case that there's something wrong with every human being in Romans 3, he quotes the Psalms and says, uh, the venom of asps is under their, lists, under their lips. There we go. <laughs> List two. Right? That, that, that their very words are poisonous. That's what we sang this morning. Lord, he, Jesus took our poison. Where does poison come from? We, we have a venomous nature. Right? It's making us sick, untrustworthy, unable to be satisfied, even with God's good gifts. Right? Our, our grumbling, our quarreling, our lack of satisfaction, and all these good things God gives, right? that's, that's the sign of this raging, burning fever that's slowly killing us in the land of sin and death. Right? And it's the kind of sickness that allows us to look at our full fridge and say, God hates me. He's against me. Right? I mean, don't you see that in your, in your, your own heart? Right? Where, where we've binged on the good gifts that God has given and say, I'm still thirsty, I'm not satisfied. It it's not my fault, it must be his fault. Right? And so, part of what God is doing for Israel is showing them their true nature. He sends them 
sends these fiery serpents, and and did you notice when did they actually start to confess and actually repent? Not until the snakes showed up. And you notice they didn't make excuses. They didn't go, oh God, you're overreacting, right? How could you do this to me? Say, oh, we have a problem, right? Not until they saw where grumbling and sin leads, which is death and misery, that's when they decided to, to make a change, to repent. And so they, they come to Moses and say, we have sinned, please, please pray for us that he might have mercy and take the serpents away. And that's what they did. And God tells Moses, take a bronze serpent and put it up on a high pole so that everyone who looks at it may live. And what's fascinating is here's what they were told to do. Go look at what is killing you, and that, that's what will cause you to live. Right? Go look at God's judgment for what's wrong with you, <laughs> and then you'll live. Right? And that's what happens. If you stubbornly refuse to, to look at God's offer of mercy by saying, look at his justice, then you were lost. But if you embraced the diagnosis and said, yeah, I'm going to trust God's word and his command, then they lived. So when you go back in here to John, you start to hear a lot more what, what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm like that bronze snake for the whole world, not just a select group of people. Right? So that whoever looks at the Son of Man, Jesus, lifted up, they'll be saved. And whoever believes in Jesus lifted up like that serpent will have eternal life. You'll be healed. So you start to see in one verse, Jesus is saying, every human being has a serpentine heart. This is why I don't trust them. I don't entrust myself to them. And at the same time, you can see we should trust him because he says, I came down from heaven to be lifted up on a pole. Right? And to be lifted up, that we know, is, is it's language to describe the cross. Right? And so what Jesus is doing, he's comparing himself to an instrument of justice, of judgment. Look at me when I'm lifted up, bearing God's judgment for you. And if you look to that, then you will be saved. If you, if you don't look, as he's going to say, if you don't believe in the, the Son of God, you're condemned already. Same instantaneous response as the bronze snake. Right? And so when an Israelite looked at this bronze serpent, they were confessing, my sin deserves divine judgment, Lord, heal me. And so Jesus looks at the whole world and he's communicating and teaching this to Jesus, or to, to, to Nicodemus, that we are all sick and says, you need to look at Christ lifted high in the air and see that it's your sin that held him there. Look at the instrument of justice. That you and I are so bad that Jesus, the one who had to come down from heaven to die for us, and yet we are so loved that he was willing in humility to let himself be lifted up for us to trust. And there, that's where you see him taking the judgment we deserve for our poisonous hearts. To, to quote Isaiah, 
right? By his wounds we are healed. And he did that so that we who are untrustworthy can then, if you believe, live, have a life of no condemnation. It's John 3.17, whoever believes in the Son of God is not condemned. That was our assurance of pardon this morning. Right now, present tense. So you get a taste of that eternal life right now. And so, if you're looking at that and trusting and believing, the Holy Spirit's at work. I mean, the way you get this condemnation-free life, all it takes is, is there's two, two verbs that are being equated here, right? Believe, according to John, but in numbers, it's look. And how active is looking? You're looking at what someone else is doing, right? You're looking at yourself and saying, I'm so sick, I need to be born again, but you're looking at Jesus and saying, that's, that's the cure. Belief makes you a new creation. And if, if you believe it's because you've been born of the Spirit who's given you eyes to see. You see the connections all the way through? Right. No one, unless you're born again, no one can see, but if you're commanded to look and believe. And so if you believe, the Spirit must have given you eyes to see. It's an act of grace. And that's how being born again works. You hear the gospel and you're moved by the gospel. As John Wesley would say, you know, my heart was strangely warmed when he heard of the reality that he could, as someone laden with a neurotic sense of guilt, right, he could look and say, Jesus loves me. And that was the Holy Spirit at work. And so you can sum up the gospel. Jesus doesn't trust you, but he is for you. It's amazing grace. Now, here's, here's a couple applications here. Um, what have you been complaining about lately? <laughs> right? what, what are you angry or impatient with God about? You know, what, what's your view of God right now? And if it feels like we're uh, like Israel in the desert complaining like God never does anything for us. <laughs> and part of what What Jesus is telling us, if you're born again, you're given eyes to see. But what do you need to look at to go to work on your heart? You've got to look at Christ crucified. This is just as true for Christians as non-Christians. You've got to have your your sight rehabilitated, so to speak. So so Paul, when he's, he's writing to the Galatians, and he's really frustrated that they've just distorted the good news of the gospel and are trying to fix themselves by themselves, by their own efforts, by their own power. They're looking at the law rather than at Jesus. And so in Galatians 3.1, he says, who bewitched you? You saw Christ crucified before your very eyes. And you read that and you go, these are people who weren't in Jerusalem. These are, they're in Galatia. So the way they saw Jesus crucified is the same way we do through the eyes of hearing the gospel proclaimed. And then Paul gets more heated as saying, you know, you receive the Holy Spirit not by keeping the law, but through faith. And so why would you try and perfect by your own, by the law, 
that hasn't done anything for you yet, right? It hasn't changed you. So why would you look to anywhere else other than Christ crucified to, to allow the Spirit to go to work to increase your faith? In other words, why are you not looking at the cross? Because at the cross, you see God's holiness grow as you see the, the demand on you. <laughs> but it's, and you, you see the depths of your sinfulness as you're more sinful than you'd ever dared imagine. And yet, the cross becomes bigger and your view of God changes so that when you look at your circumstance, you know, it can't be because God isn't for me. Right, so what, what the new covenant does is it helps us not be like Israel complaining right? Because you know what it would sound like for us. Israel was complaining, we have no food and water, and we hate this worthless bread. Well, what's the bread of life for us as we complain? It's Jesus, right? We don't want to walk in that same path where we say, Lord, we, we have nothing. You hate us, and we hate this worthless food, which is the Son of God giving for you. He's for you, Second application. Um, started with this idea that if you really take Jesus and the, the gospel seriously, that, that no human being is trustworthy by themselves, that actually helps you love difficult people. It turns out everyone is if Jesus doesn't trust them. <laughs> but we also read another place that talked about being born again this morning, Psalm 87. And what's fascinating about Psalm 87 is here's the kingdom of God, the, the, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, uh, being sung about, and who is, who is a citizen of that city? It's Rahab and Babylon. Rahab is another name for Egypt. And so the first two listed there are, here are, here are the people that have treated Israel the worst. They've enslaved, they've brutalized, they've murdered I mean, in Babylon's case, they, they learned from the Assyrians on how to drag people across the desert with fish hooks in their mouth. And then you've got the Philistines. You've got Tyre and wealthy uh, ship merchants who, again, were instruments of oppression. They would harass Israel. And then you've got Cush, a faraway place, Africa, as representatives of the nations, the peoples that are registered in the city of God. And the language they use is these people were born here in Jerusalem. And so it's a, it's a portrait of what the city of God will be in Psalm 87. Imagine what it would be like to have the nations who, who hate each other, but who are now family in the kingdom of God, who all have the same testimony. We've been born, not because we deserve it. We've been born here. It's a gift of grace, right? You have pillaging murderers, now family, worshiping the same God. And, and it ends, oddly, with uh, the singers and the dancers all saying, all my springs are in you. So you hear the language of water flowing from God's throne. And I've been born again, tasting of God's goodness. And so this is what the gospel does. If you're going to take Psalm 87 seriously... It puts the best humans and the worst humans in the same boat. You got Nicodemus and Babylonians. Right, here's someone who cares about God's law, and here's someone who flaunted evil. 
And the power of the gospel is such that they can come together, look at each other, forgive each other, <laughs> and be friends, be family. Right? So if you take that seriously as a Christian, that I was untrustworthy, but God welcomed me into the city, how does that help you look at other people that you deem less trustworthy than yourself? God gives us the tools to say, hey, you don't, don't have to entrust yourself to them. You trust Jesus. But one of the effects of trusting Jesus is you start to learn to love difficult people and forgive as you've been forgiven. Right? That's one of the, the, the pieces of being born again in the scriptures. So how do you see people? Right? We tend to rank them in terms of, yeah, I trust them, I don't trust them, these people got my back, yeah, they, they, they failed me once, you know, they're, on my, they're on my list of, of people not to trust ever again. And the gospel is calling us, to, especially within the church community, because that's, that's the language of the psalm, is to look at difficult people and forgive them the way Christ has forgiven you. Right? It sets us free to patiently bear with the grumbling and complaining and pride of difficult people because that's our testimony of how God treated us. So, go and learn what it means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Don't trust yourself, trust Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your spirit to be at work in us. Witnessing the gospel, that we have a king who did not trust us, but loved us more than we can imagine. And as we go forth from this place, I pray that your spirit would equip us to love one another as we have been loved. Uh, that, that our neighbors might look at us and say, how do we get, how do we see the kingdom of God? I want to see what you see. Show me Jesus. And so may we be faithful witnesses because of the gospel we've heard and believe today in Jesus' name. Amen.